0: Welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter
1: and any book with even a little bit of time travel in it. And I'm Chelsea, also a lover of Harry Potter and any fantasy novel with a strong female lead. So we're excited to be back. Yes. Book 41. Ready to talk about it. Um, Book 41. Oh, before we get into that, I always try an intro. A book before we do this. What are you reading now? Yes, besides uh, books for the podcast, I've read several because it's been a
0: little bit since we recorded. We were we were full of your bachelorette party, and then you got sick and the f- life. So here we are. Um, i so most recently, I read a book called Unmarriageable by Sonia yeah, Kamal. Sonia Kamal. And it was really good. I read it in one sitting on um, a day that I was kind of playing hooky from work. <laughs> Luckily, no one from work listens to this. Um, that
1: you know of.
0: Yeah, maybe we should cut that out. <laughs> uh, I re- So I read it in one sitting. And it was um, it's Pride and Prejudice set in um, modern-day Pakistan in the year 2000. And so it's like the same overall plot, but it's totally um, – it was really interesting about Pakistani culture, and I'm like, why the year 2000? It just came out last uh-huh. year, you know. But um, where like there's five unmarried daughters in a family, and the mother's trying to get them married in arranged marriages, and then like they got the friend who's much old, who's older and unmarried, you know, who like marries their cousin, the whole deal. And it really worked that like, and she did not deviate from the plot of Pride and Prejudice at all. With interesting. The overall lines of it. Um, but it was very satisfying, and I feel like you don't read. A lot of books by or about Pakistani people. Mm -mm. And so I really loved it. Um, And she I read in the afterward, the author was saying how like when she was studying. So in Pakistan, I learned that because they were a British colony when they were before the partition, Uh they had um, English language schools. And so like middle class and wealthier people, often their full education is in English still. And so she was studying like English literature in university and uh, and when she had to read pride and prejudice like both of the teenager and then when she was reading it like officially in college uh she was like this feels so much like pakistan to me and so then she wrote it as like her master's thesis
1: interesting that's in, kind of cool Atlanta. and then got it published yeah so yeah really good i re- definitely recommend it well that sounds way cooler than my book um i read wild card by maria lu which is or marie lu i might have messed up her name one or the other um <laughs> It is a the second book in the duology of the Warcross book that I read during our twenty four oh. hour readathon, um, and I'm I was not into it. I it didn't meet my resolution. and I didn't DNF it, even though I didn't like it. Oh, Chelsea! Uh, but I was listening to it on audiobook too, which is harder because it's like, well, I don't want to have to go find another audiobook. Um, <laughs> but it just that's all it takes. <laughs> It just, it wasn't as good. It wasn't um, as interesting. I thought that it was like an oddly unsatisfying conclusion. Um, And where I thought the first book was going was something really like sci-fi-y and then it just, it took a weird turn that I can't, it's hard to describe without spoilers, but I would not recommend it in general. Um, I just felt like it was not the best conclusion and that it was really convenient in a way that didn't make a lot of sense um so, so questions for two questions two things yes
0: one was that book that you told us about on a previous podcast that was about like a a triad relationship between like the president i didn't read the sequel that, to that one was that on audiobook Is no that why you, oh so i just think that's the way you'd reason you didn't dnf it
1: <laughs> No. Um I just had to find a reason not to DNF this one. I couldn't overcome the the, the struggles. <laughs> um and the second thing was I was gonna say I also
0: the audiobook that I started on the readathon jello girls uh-huh. um i ended up i got it in real Realberg farm and i read it since we last recorded because i was like i feel like this is good enough that i want to actually read it so i uh-huh. catch everything and i would it was like okay it wasn't the best memoir i've ever read Like i feel like it started strong and then it kind of faded but that might also be because a lot of it was just about dealing like with her mother's um slow decline
1: uh-huh. and death and that's pretty heavy and rough to read <laughs> so um uh, Now we will move into this week's book. This week's book was Portnoy's Complaint by Philip Roth. It was published in 1967, and Philip Roth is an American author. The book was about 270 pages long. Um, If you had to describe it in one word, what word would you use? Prick. It works on a lot of
0: levels, you'll see.
1: We (laughs) start talking about (laughs) it. And I chose the word perverse. Perverse.
0: Okay, and if we were going to give you the plot of this book in one sentence as a quick plot, we would say that Alexander Portnoy monologues to his therapist about his sexual perversions and fixations.
1: Okay, so moving into our spoilers, um, if yeah, you, over-
0: oh yeah, you go. If mm-hmm.
1: you don't want to hear spoilers, just look in the show notes for when to come back. Great. Um, overall,
0: first impressions of this book.
1: First of all, did you had you heard of Philip Roth before, I guess? Yes.
0: I had heard of him and I was like, I think I've read something about him before and I went through the whole list and I definitely haven't.
1: Yeah, I had heard of him. Um for he won a Nobel Prize no in I've literature, I'm pretty sure, for um American gods in the something of America. Something with America in the title. So I've heard of him. <laughs> Obviously I didn't pay close attention. <laughs> but the name was familiar. Um I, however now after having read him I'm uncertain I would pursue him in any way shape or form I I promised myself I would save this for the end but I just need to tell <laughs> you this book did not have chapters
0: it did not yeah
1: it is a doomsday thing for a book if it does not have any sort of chapter break any sort of break I just from now until forever I mean you like jealousy and that didn't have chapters yeah but it had little vignette thingies it's true.
0: The... uh, (laughs) Just... Why? (laughs) (laughs) And this is a pretty recent book, so it's definitely... It's meant to not have chapters because it's experimental. (sighs) Because uh, throughout the book... You are aware that the Portno is is talking to a therapist because occasionally he'll be like, "You see, doctor," and it's obvious. And the whole thing is one long monologue. Yeah. As, like his—it's never his therapist is never interjecting to ask him a question or anything. No, and he's so just I worth think vomiting. that I think the reason there's no chapters—it's—it's it's a very intentional experimental thing because it's supposed to be a, a giant, almost three hundred page long monologue.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, I, you may feel about that. I very much. We'll get into. Let's talk about the plot a little bit before I just go on my rant about this book. <laughs>
0: yeah, this is a good book for us to rant about.
1: Um, okay, so
0: Portno is talking to his therapist, and he starts off by talking about his family. Mm-hmm. He's Jewish.
1: Um, this, he had um his parents and a sister.
0: Yeah, grew up with them. His um mother, he felt to be very smothering in her love and attention as as like his only son, her only son, and his dad was um more distant or just Mm -hmm. that he didn't respect his dad because he did wasn't like the head of the household. His mom was more the head of the household. And then as he grows, then he like goes through puberty. There's a ton of crazy puberty stuff that happens. Very tons, Tons of sex stuff. And then it focuses specifically on a woman that he has just broken up with that he refers to mainly as by the nickname of monkey who is um, on board for all of the sexual things that he wants to try. Um, And, And then, and he's like, why did I ever break up with her? Like, no one else is going to do some of this Mm -hmm. stuff. But there's a part where they have a threesome with a prostitute in Italy. And then she breaks up with him because he won't marry her. Yep. And, uh, and then, and then he kind of like flashes back to some other relationships with women in which all of them, their nicknames are objects. Uh, And then he's kind of like, and then he goes to Israel after the, that breakup with Monkey. Yeah. And he can't uh, get an erection in Israel. And, <laughs> um, and even though he meets a girl there that he likes. Uh, and then he now he's like telling a therapist, like, why is it that I've never been able to settle down with the right woman? It's because my mom over smothered me with her love. and yeah. And it's not, of course, my fault at all.
1: And he kind of <laughs> goes into how his that that is what created his impotence. Yes, yeah. So it's
0: very, I read some articles about it, and it's definitely considered to be, like, the
1: seminal, like,
0: top book about what it meant to be an American Jewish man in the 60s and that everyone you had to, to relate to this book you had to be an american jewish man mm-hmm. in the 60s and that everyone every one of those men did relate to it which is sort of terrifying
1: yeah and <laughs> let's make it clear philip roth was an american jewish man in the 60s yeah. who grew up in the same town as portnoy did in the story right so, so thanks, um, over- <laughs> you know also not real helpful um this book was very uh Sexual, very, very sexual. Yeah, definitely it, had the most um, masturbation of any book yeah. we read for the
0: podcast so far, and
1: in very perverse
0: ways. Um, yes, let's let's list them off, shall we? Um, into his sister's bra. Yep. <laughs> um, into into a piece of liver that he, that then, he then fed f- to his fed family. His mom then cooks for dinner, and they all eat while he's at the table. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah, constantly in the bathroom, mm-hmm. like. It's, the threesome with the prostitute, yeah, um, yeah. It's all. It's very sexual, and I think it, in the sixties it was probably like shocking, and yeah. people liked it because it was so shocking. But now. It just feels like, okay. <laughs> well, and he very
1: much objectifies all the women that he's yeah, with. Like he literally names them objects and yeah. he calls them monkey monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like it's a cutesy nickname. It's like an objectification thing. Um, and so he he has some really messed up viewpoints of what women are. And he 100% blames that on the fact that his mother was smothering. And he tells these like weird stories about like how his mother had really terrible periods and one time he saw a drop of her period blood oh, and that yeah. scarred him for life for life or life. <laughs> she would be so sick on her period and her his sister would always have to help her but his sister wasn't home and he had to go buy the tampons and he's scarred for life and I just want to be like are you effing kidding me
0: yeah like
1: I am so over books on this list that are Not he wasn't even necessarily privileged, but like middle class white men bitching about their lives. Yeah, he was still privileged as a white guy. Yeah, (laughs) like I just cannot connect with books like that. Like it's just not in my nature. This felt like an extension of our wish fulfillment books, where it was like this is what the wish fulfillment author is feeling as he's writing his wish fulfillment book. Yeah, like it just I did not. I did not like it. I yeah. did not enjoy it. I thought that it was really overwritten for what it was, too. Like, yeah. I'm going to write this really perverse book, and I'm going to make myself smart doing it. Like Yeah.
0: The, uh, I would say that my number one thing that I would say about this book is that more so even than the other wish fulfillment books that we read for the list, I – I read this book maybe in four sittings and every time I read it, it put me in a bad mood Mm -hmm. and I was trying to figure out why that was. And then I realized that because it's all a monologue, this feels like a a white man standing in your face and like mansplaining to you and yelling at you and like putting you down and like being aggressive just constantly for 300 pages. And so every time I like close it, I was just like, "Ugh!" I'd be so angry because I just like, I don't need to listen to this like long rant. Um,
1: it's, it was really it was, bad it was yeah. um I had a hard time too going on because oftentimes when we don't like a book I can go on to goodreads and I can read why people liked it and I can understand why they liked it even though I didn't like it I had a hard time with this one when people were being like I related to this I I liked this similar to when people are like they related to look Homeward cool, angel I'm like I related to this on Zero percent levels. Yeah, there was no moment in time in this story was like I relate to you, sir. None, 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 none.
0: Well, it kind of like I read an article. I think it was in the Guardian, and it was saying like it was like forty years after the publication, is this book still relevant? And they decided that yes, it was, and their reasons were basically that it talks about religion and politics and sexual relate like men and between men and women, all without directly talking about them. And that so many people, like, it really summed up the experience of that population in that time. But I was like, that's not a good, those aren't enough reasons, like, because lots of other books talk about those things
1: that, and they don't, aren't terrible. (laughs) And something I'm beginning to have issue with that I don't think I directly noticed before we read these books is, I kind of take issue with, (sighs) we're reading it because it meant something to those people at that time, but it's still just terrible like it's like fine to say hey this doesn't stand the test of time like that's to be allowed to say that and it's fine to be like yeah this experience was not a good experience like the way that these men in this time were built to think about women and to think about sex and the way sex was hidden but then also that made it something more perverse I think we, um I think one thing about like the sexual revolution and everything is that it's not as perverse to talk about sex, so these weird, like, th- this super, uh, not idolatry, but he's super, like... W- yeah, and- fixation. Yeah, mm-hmm. fixation on it isn't as... Well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's
0: like people can t- talk more openly about their sex lives, and then people who do have more strange kinks or... or- like, perversions, whatever, however you want to, like, label it. They're, like, in deep corners of the internet that you cannot choose not to engage with. Like, they're not on the New York Times bestsellers list. Well,
1: know <laughs> it was, too, it was interesting because I consider myself a really sex-positive person. Like, I have... If you're doing something safe and consensual, you do you. Like, you, you do you seems so, like, blunt. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, if it's safe and it's consensual for both yeah. parties, like, have at it. But his, the way... I think something that's important to me that I feel like is a part of what I consider being sex positive is also that you consider your partners as like humans. Equal, here, yeah. Like equal they're partners, humanized. Yeah. yeah, and so he oh, didn't for sure. do that yeah. in this book. like So yeah. it wasn't that he was doing gross sex acts. It was also that he was dehumanizing the people he was having sex with. Yeah. Which was... Um, and then blaming them yeah, for not and,
0: fulfilling his every need and fantasy. Yeah,
1: and again, I say gross <laughs> as in like, I wouldn't do it. And it felt gross because he was dehumanizing them. Yeah. Like, and so, I don't know. That made it really hard to read. And I, like, just don't think we need to be putting books like that in front of people. Well, I think the fact that this was so well-reviewed in its time and
0: even and afterwards. And, and like, even this is, like, a book that, like, my parents recognize the name of immediately yeah. and stuff. And they – is that own voices novels are important. And, like, it's important. Yeah. So, like, if – white men, Jewish white men identified with this and then white men were the critics that were writing about it and then white men were the public the heads of the publishing houses getting to decide that what got, gets published and then they were the you know people deciding how many copies of the books get printed and then like the people in the advertising like that means that other voices don't get heard and so yeah. it, it's just a good reminder that on every level of the machine that brings books to people's attention we need people of all different kinds of voices otherwise because it's like books like this that are as equally white and mm-hmm. like majority, well, not really even the majority, you know, but I don't know, equally as like narrow and terrible are being published now because yeah. the same group has controlled this industry for it forever, and and uh, I just think it's just like oh, this like. It's not just that like uh, it's harder for an author of color to get published. It's yeah. harder on every level for them to get this the kind of attention, you know. For I their mean work.
1: too And it does one thing that it does do um, is it's easier for us, I think, to critique novels like this because I can be like, no, there has to be a better book out there of a Jewish male perspective of the 1960s. like that population is still going to be represented in literature if I'm like, this book is awful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like I'm, like, silencing that generation's voice by being, like, objectively, nobody needs to read this book.
0: Yeah. And what's crazy is that this book, like, it came out in 1963, right? Or 1967. Mm -hmm. So that's, like, when the sexual revolution was happening. Like, this was a part of that. Which is weird. So it's, like, you can't be, like, oh, because of the sexual revolution, we have these feelings about it. Which is, like, this also, books like this and this one spurred Mm -hmm. on the sexual revolution in addition to the pill being around.
1: Yeah. So... I didn't like it. You didn't like it. No, it
0: just felt like a man yelling at me, and I don't need that in my no. reading life. And I don't. Th- I think it's fair to say this does not stand the test of time, and you don't need to spend your time on it unless you're reading it to critique it.
1: Yeah. No, no, it goes with um, the Comward Angel, and what was the other one that was really wish fulfillment mansplaining that was dumb? There's been so many. <laughs> a, w- a world
0: for Julius.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I feel like there was one other one too. It goes kind of with me and like that barrel of books where I'm just like, I don't necessarily feel like I wouldn't ever censor it. Like I don't believe in censoring books, yeah. but I wouldn't put it on a top thousand list recommending people to read no. it to better themselves. Yeah, this is definitely in from the list so far in my bottom
0: five, I would mm-hmm. say. It doesn't doesn't quite knock out those bottom three that we're always talking about, but Gaum Gas. Yeah. Still there. Yeah, Gormong Gas, Titus Grown and Look Homeward Angel. But it's close. Right? Yeah. It's definitely it's below. Most of the other books that it, so that I felt like oh it's fine yeah it's below those books for sure
1: so I mean I think we're being very clear but let's just ask does this go on the list for you no no and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone no <laughs> no <laughs> and I again like it's not a book that was so awful that like no censorship or anything but I don't understand why we're putting why people are putting books like this on the thousand best books ever written because. There's millions of books that have been written and I cannot believe that this is better and more meaningful than all like the top point zero 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 one percent of them. Yeah. And
0: it'll be interesting because there's another Philip Roth book on the mm-hmm. list that we will eventually read, but a much later publication that came out in the year 2000. And so it'll be interesting to see if we read it soon enough that we remember this book. Um what the par- i wonder parallels are. if though if having read this 1st we'll color our opinion of his writing but maybe we won't draw that book out of a hat for 10 years hopefully and then this book will be a blip we and we'll have a fresh hopefully. fresh eyes yeah. i mean it could be like kazuo ishiguro which I, I like i hate this i hate I this i hate I this, hate
1: this. I and then two books later we're reading
0: another book by him
1: i still like him
0: but you hated the second one i did true fact <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah um yeah.
0: OK, so in for our final segment, we thought that um, in the spirit of partner's complaint, we would give you Chelsea and Nicole's current complaints.
1: Yes, and we are we decided it'd be funnier if we did not plan this. So right. it's
0: off the, cuff, off the cuff, our monologue about things that annoy us. Yeah, you know, just continue That's the right. rant in this episode. So yeah, we can go back and forth a little bit. Mm. Um, I'm going to start off with, <laughs> this is not on my mind a lot lately, it really annoys me When people come to work, even though they know that they're sick and contagious, like this, like in the last two weeks of my work, like we had the flu going around and I didn't catch it, but it gives me, it's like the only thing in life that really gives me a lot of anxiety is like when I feel like. I may have been exposed and I'm going to be like down for the count for two weeks. And I wish I could turn it off. I'm trying to, but every once in a while, if the conditions are right, like once a year, I'll just have like a horrible week where I'm really anxious about it. So last week, five people went home from my office in one day with the, and like someone had like been diagnosed with the flu by a doctor. So it was like, the flu was going around and literally a woman came in for like, she'd be out for two days. She came in for two hours and then she went to the clinic and found out she had the flu. And three people like the three people who had talked to her that day all got to came with the flu the next day it's so and, I, and i'm just like i always feel like it comes from a place of um just like my job is so important and no one can do it so i have to be there because we don't have we we're salaried i get it if you don't get paid otherwise or nobody can cover you but that's not the case in yeah. our job and so just like we're salaried we get eight hours of sick leave every month. You have plenty of sick leave. Just stay home. Like we, yeah. get, Oh, it makes me so bad. <laughs> I've been ranting about it for like the last seven days. <laughs> I've already
1: heard this rant. Uh, my rant is, Oh, this is the one I've been so pet peeved about the last couple of days. Cause I commute a long commute to work right now. And I don't understand why people will pass you when you're pacing behind a car and then squeeze in between you and that car you are pacing (laughs) behind as if they're going to get somewhere. It is like infuriating. And it's always some dude in his like fancy looking car who thinks he's so cool. And he revs his engine (laughs) as he goes around you. And then he gets stuck behind the car that you were pacing behind. You're like, I would be going the speed limit (laughs) if I wasn't stuck behind this other person. Like I get why you're annoyed. (laughs) But you just passed me to sit behind him now. Yeah. It really... It's happened like three times
0: in the last two days. I was listening to Ellen DeGeneres' um, most recent Netflix or Netflix special, her most recent comedy special. And she has a joke about like she likes to drive fast and then you pass someone and then you get to a red light and they just pull up right next to you and you're like trying so hard. Uh-huh. I'm going to look here and touch the console and not like – it's really funny. me say that?
1: No. Yeah. Um, I hate
0: those people. Okay. Another thing that I liked I that annoys me that I like to rant complaints. about – Complaints. Yes. Complaints. Is hmm, I <laughs> just things I could say about who do we know that listens to
1: this podcast? I don't want to hear me complaining about them. Um, I also or like identify and be like, that's something I, I do. do. Oh no, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I I have a neighbor on my floor in my building who likes to leave like notes on people's doors if they're doing things that displease her. Oh, and God. so she like when I was passive
1: go- aggressive <laughs> before
0: I had even moved in um and but I had was like there at night after work painting and stuff she was left me notes like that I needed to vacuum the hallway because I had brought in flooring and there was stuff on the floor but I didn't even have a vacuum there right I didn't live there and um and then I like wrote her back and I was like oh I'm so sorry I don't have a vacuum I'll bring a vacuum this weekend and then she wrote me back took it like and it was just oh man and I and I in the moment I made the choice to respond with honey and not bitterness (laughs) and it worked and now I feel like we're on good terms. But yeah, and she, but I've seen her do it to other neighbors. Like, I don't know what the notes have said, but I've seen them on people's doors. (laughs) It's, it's rough. And it just, it's just like, everyone knows that she's like the crazy lady in our building. Um, and like at the owner's annual owner's meeting, she was like right in the front row and was like interrupting the board members to talk. And yeah, I just, I, so I guess the thing that annoys me is that people who just have too much time on their hands. Um, well, th- so that was this edition of Nicole and Chelsea's complaints. Yep. <laughs> um, we might have to keep this segment going because even though we'll have it go with the future books, because it, it's pretty satisfying.
1: Yeah, I feel better. I guess this is why Philip Roth wrote that book. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, um, maybe we can turn this into a best selling novel.
1: Oh my God. Ours probably wouldn't be misogynistic. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, should we draw our book for next time? Dun, da,
0: da, da. Our book for next time is Book 42, Cat's Cradle. Oh, this is a book that I recognize.
1: Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt
0: Vonnegut. Have you read anything else by Vonnegut in your life? I feel like I have, but I don't know what book. Oh, Slaughterhouse-Five. I've read yeah, Slaughterhouse-Five. I've read Slaughterhouse-Five and I feel like we read some short stories by him in high school mm-hmm. that I remember liking. And I remember liking Slaughterhouse-Five, but I never remember what it's about because I, I always either. think it's the plot of Fahrenheit 451, That's but not those are it. different books. <laughs> but I have yeah. read it. Um, but I, so I'm curious about this one.
1: It should be interesting. We will, you, you'll you have to tune in next time to yes. hear about it. Until then,
0: you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 1001 Books Pod or on Litzy at 1001 Books Podcast. Or you can email
1: us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com. And, and remember to rate and review the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, happy reading. reading.